Hey, family. Hey, sister. <laughs> All right, I'm going to read to you guys today out of Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. I want to make sure I said that right, because I got it wrong for service. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Amen. Thank you, Linda. That's the scripture we're looking at today. And um, again, I promise I'm going to uh, be, uh, you know, brief with our kids in here. Brief-er. But I do want to make sure that we have something to take away from the day that you're here in church. And I, I want you to hear from what I believe God has for us as a church let me kind of set the stage as to where we're going to go over the next few months. I, I took this last week and I, I spent the week just in prayer, studying, taking the time to see what is it, God, that you have for us? What is it that you are want to speak to the church? I felt really impressed on uh, doing that. And, and I'm going to take this next coming week and I'm, I'm going to do the same thing because God's laying some things on my heart that are extremely important. Especially in this day, in this age, in the culture of our world, and the culture of the church, there's some things that we need to see behind the smokescreen, so to speak. So I want to I do that. And so we are going to, uh, starting next week, we're going to go into a sermon series called Rooted. Where are your roots? What are your roots going into? What is it that you have, are getting nourishment from? What is it that is sustaining your life? What is it? Where, where are your roots at? Because it's important because we need to know where our roots are because going into the next uh, portion of that, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a real opportunity for us to get offended. Because what I want to do is I want to go into, and I don't know how long, whether we go into it for eight weeks, nine weeks, something like that at this point, but I want to go into a sermon series that I felt the Lord lay on my heart behind the curtain kind of the, 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 the picture that I had was the picture of the Wizard of Oz. Who's pulling the strings? What's happening in our culture today? What's going on behind the facade that we see? What's happening in the church? What's happening in society? What are the spiritual things that are going on? And we need to see behind them because the church, the spirit world is, is more real than the world in which we live. And so we're going to go into... Babylon, and Baal, and Asherah, Molech. We're going to talk about some things that, some spirits that are at work. 
And uh, so anyway, I, I, I wanna, I'm just really trying to prepare because I want to be able to rightly divide the Word of God so that we can know what it is that God is doing. Because in the midst of it all, God is victorious. Church, our God is the Redeemer. Amen. Come on, our God is the Redeemer. And our God is the God who redeems everything. He redeems, listen to me, broken, discarded, forgotten, messed up, addicted, afflicted, sin-filled lives. And he takes them and makes a masterpiece out of them. That's what our God does because he's God. And so in this process of God, you know, he makes us into this masterpiece, but then we walk out our salvation. We walk out who we are. We begin to grow in our understanding. And this process is so important. It's so important because, church, it will benefit us. And if we don't walk out that process, we won't experience the benefits of that. God wants to show you who you are in Christ because I promise you this, who you are in Christ is way better who you are in this world. So we're going to, we, we need to look at that. But not only is this process of, of transformation, this process that, of redemption so important to us, it's equally important to those who are watching us, those who are witnessing our lives. And if you are a Christian, if you're born again, I, even if you're not, people are watching you. People are watching you all the time. I learned that the hard way. I got to realize that, you know what, when I'm at Walmart, I got to keep my attention go- because people, people get upset. Oh, I saw you at Walmart. You didn't even say hi. It's like, it's like you know, he's, I was just trying to find cord- carb balanced tortillas, you know. But God wants this process to work because it's a witness to others. But it's also, church, listen, it's a witness to our families. It is a witness to the family legacy that God has for us, each and every one of us. And it's important. You each and every one have a family legacy. Listen, this is where we're going to start from, right where we are. Look, I don't care whether, you know what, your kids are grown and you've got grandkids that are grown. I don't care if you're just brand new to this whole thing and you've got little children that you're trying to figure out how to raise and how to get to church, how to do the things that you need to. I don't care where you are in all of that. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And therefore, church, where you are right now is where God wants to start with you, where God wants to begin to build, to create, to solidify the legacy that he has for you. God, nothing is impossible with him. And if you're in Christ, that means that nothing is impossible for you. So you have the opportunity from right where you are, right now, right here, to make choices and decisions that will change the legacy that would be passed down from generation to generation. Now, those are reasons, but there's reasons also that Linda just read the scripture in Matthew chapter 7 in verses 13 through 20. Powerful scripture. Let me also say this. These are the words of Jesus. I mean, this is in the middle of a message, a ministry that Jesus had, that he was preaching and teaching, and these are the words that Jesus gave out. These are things that Jesus said. And he said that there are going to be many false prophets that go out into the world. Church, there's a lot of false prophets out there. And the false prophets are going to work in our lives through deception. 
They're going to deceive us. They're going to try to get us to believe something that's not biblical. They're going to try to get us to believe something that's cultural, not biblical. And we need to be very careful. Deception is a powerful tool, and the enemy uses it very, very well. And the powerfulness of that tool comes forth in the fact that those who are deceived don't know they're deceived, because if they knew they were deceived, they wouldn't be deceived. So deception is really difficult because so many people are deceived and don't know that they're deceived. So the most powerful tool that the enemy has, the great danger that the enemy uses in our life is self-deception. Let me ask you, are there areas in your life that you're deceived? Are there areas in your life that you are conscientiously believing because it's more comfortable, you like it, it makes sense, it's cultural, than what the Bible says. And again, I'm I'm talking to the church. This message was to the church. And he's speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees. And the scribes and the Pharisees are the religious people. Let me tell you, we still have religious people today. They just don't wear phylacteries and big fancy hats and some do, but we have people that are religious all around us, people that are religious in the, tr- in the church, people that have deceived themselves into believing they are righteous or that they're in good standing with God and all the other people are sinners. Everyone else has just fallen so short. You know, church, listen to me. It is very possible for you to know all of the right language, all of the right vernacular. It's possible for you to have all the Christianese, to know all the things that need to be said and how to say them. It's, it's possible for you to believe, at least to have this intellectual belief in all the right doctrines, to know all the right theology. It's possible for you to know all the right rules. It's possible for you to be in the absolute right church and not be saved. And Jesus uses two word pictures. And some of you may, you know, you may rail against what I'm going to say today um, because we don't like to be confronted with our deception. We don't. I full well know that when I'm preparing a message. Oh, wow, people aren't going to like this. But are you here to have your ears tickled or are you here to be confronted in some areas that God wants to bring some reproof to you? So Jesus uses these two word pictures to help clear up some of the deception, to steer us away from those places where we may be deceived, that we then might also see that deception in ourselves and be able to help our brothers and sisters as we see some of the places of deception in them. To see others, to see ourselves in truth. Not in human theory. Come on, we like to theorize about ourselves, don't we? God likes to speak truth to us. So the first picture is this. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it says this. Enter by the narrow gate. Now listen, these are Jesus' words. If you don't like these words, please take it up with Jesus. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. For those who enter by it are many. Look, there is a wide gate. There is an easy way. There is a lot of people going that direction. 
And verse 14 says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Hey, Michael, this thing is just ringing. Can you? I don't know if you can hear it back there, but I don't know what's bothering me. So let me read that again. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. So there is a a wide way and there is a narrow way. There is an easy way, there is a hard way. There is a place where many find it and there is a place where few will find it. And what he's talking about in this, of course, he's talking about the way to heaven and the way to hell. This is what he's talking about. And the wide gate, the wide gate church is the easy way. It's the popular way. It's the cultural way. It's the religious way. And many are going that way. And again, I want you to see all of this is all sandwiched in. And, and the next verses in, in Matthew 21 through 23 are, is the verses that, you know, they're, they're powerful verses where it talks about those who say, Lord, Lord, I did all this for you. And he says, away from me, I, I don't know you. Church, there's a wide way, an easy way, and there's a lot of people that are going to find that way, a lot of people that are going that way. It's popular. And church, we cannot judge the, the spiritual profession of our faith. We cannot judge the success or the failure of the church. We cannot judge our spiritual life based on statistics, based on popularity, Based on how many people agree with me. Based on the fact that, well, this is what most of the people are doing. You know, church, the majority isn't usually right. They're not. And, and just because we may be in a, a majority, it doesn't mean that it's right. Just because every, like, how many times have you, did you, as parents, have you said this or heard, hey, if everybody's jumping off a cliff, doesn't mean you should. Hey, the majority isn't normally right, and if everybody's doing it, usually it's proof that it's probably not the way to go. Because the kingdom of God is the opposite of that. The kingdom of God, usually the true people of God, are described as a remnant, a small group of people, a small minority in this world that are truly following after the Lord, following after his leadings in our lives. And it's not hard to see why. Jesus tells us, he says, because it's not hard to see why the, the, this remnant, the people of God are a small minority. The reason's not hard to see because he says the way of life is the narrow gate. It's the narrow gate, which means this. It means it's the hard way. It's the lonely way. It's the unpopular way. It's the costly way. And those who find it are few. Church, you can be sitting here today and be taking the wide road. You can be taking that, that wide gate. You can be taking that broad road. And you can take it and you can be sitting in church and you can just be hanging on to all your baggage. Hanging on to all of your sin. Hanging on to all of your filth. Hanging on to all of the uncleanliness. Hanging on to all of that which is contrary to what the word of God declares. You can do that. 
But to take the narrow way, we have to lay that all down. We have to lay it down because it doesn't fit through the narrow gate. We have to let it go. And Jesus gives us these indicators. Church, all through Scripture, God gives us indicators to things, things that will help us in the flesh to see what's really going on in our spiritual life. And he gives us these indicators so that we can know which road we're on. What gate are you passing through? Look, if you read these scriptures, then I think you have to, just like I, I see it as so important for us to understand what gate are we passing through because eternal life hangs in the balance of this. Or at least the reflection of it. So here's the first test. And um, uh, please give me a moment and I'll explain. But the first test is this. Did your profession of faith in Jesus Christ cost you anything? Did your profession of faith cost you anything? If, if not, then was it really a true biblical profession of faith? Now, salvation, church, is by grace and grace alone. No man, no one can earn salvation. It's not something that you can work for. It's not something that you get because you join a church or you go to this kind of church or that kind of church. It's not something that you can ever do. You can never be good enough. You can never find the forgiveness of sins. You can never be cleansed. You can never find righteousness. You'll never walk in any of that by the works of your own. Jesus Christ is the only one that purchased your salvation, and it is by grace grace that you have been saved, not by works that any man could boast. It is by God's grace that they are called to pick up their cross and follow him. The walking out of our salvation means that we're now going down the narrow road, the hard way. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, in verse 38 and 39, he says, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Amen. Please listen. We are not saved by good works, Amen. but we are all saved to good works. Yes. Okay, it's like with baptism today. You know what? Baptism will not save you. You are getting baptized because you're saved. Yep. You are not saved by good works, by what you do. You are only saved to those good works. Meaning once you're saved, the Holy Spirit's just going to begin to produce these good works out of your life. You're going to begin to change and be transformed. Look, most people profess their trust in Jesus Christ, but they never leave the broad road. They never leave the broad road with all of its ways, with all of its cultural design, with all of its desires that are built in, with the appetites for all of these pleasures that come. We, we never, sometimes never leave those things, never walk away from those things. There's never a repentance. There's still a continuation with sin, a continual a place where we're just drawn by pleasure. We're pleasure-seeking, not God-seeking. According to the scriptures, many in the church have taken an easy, convenient, non-controversial, non-life-changing Christianity. 
that requires absolutely nothing of them. Amen, Pastor Mark. I love you. I love you, and I love you too much to just let us begin to, you know, continue to slide down that easy road. I love to run. Well, I don't really love to run. I, I just run because I can't control what I eat. And um, I would much rather run downhill than uphill. I am so much faster. <laughs> But Jesus said that the narrow way is hard. It's against the grain. It's up the hill. And church, you cannot walk on two roads. You can't. You can't walk in two different ways. You can't walk in two different directions at the same time. So did your profession of faith in Christ cost you anything? And the second, the last test is this. Did my decision for Christ change my life? Did the decision you made change your life? Let me, let me show you some of them. Go ahead and throw that picture up there. What, who can tell me what kind of tree is that? Come on. Huh? Are you sure? I don't know. I can't You're guessing. What kind of tree is that? A tree. What? Some of you, yeah. How do you know? It's a tree. Yeah, you know what? You're just all guessing. So let me ask you this. Okay, look at this next picture. What kind of tree is it? How do you know? The fruit, the fruit proves what it is, amen? First one, you can't tell because it just looked like, like you said, it's just a tree. You know what? And I'm going to show you a couple more. But I did, I found, when I Googled, I Googled pictures of diseased trees that did not produce fruit. And that's what that first one was. Look at this next one. What kind of tree is that? A disease tree. A what? What? Who said it? What kind of tree is that? You don't know. Go ahead and throw the next picture up there. What kind of tree is it? You know it's an orange tree because it's got oranges on it. Let me ask you this next one. What is that? You should know this. What is it? Huh? I don't know. You don't know because, well, so look, the next one. Okay, what, you probably don't know what that is either, but. It's a fig tree. You know it's a fig tree because it's producing figs. The first one did not have any figs. What happened when Jesus came to the fig tree that was big and it had all kinds of uh, leaves on it and he pulled back the leaves and looked and he saw there's no figs on this tree. He cursed it. Go ahead, next one. What kind of tree is that? All right, whatever. Okay, what's the next one? What is it? It's a peach tree. Look, we know what the tree is because we recognize the fruit. And each fruit tree produces after its own kind. Amen? That's important for us to know, especially going into this next word picture. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, it says, Beware of false prophets. Who's Jesus speaking to? 
the church. Beware of false prophets. Why? It's because they come to you in sheep's clothing. Church, what do false prophets look like? They look like sheep. They look like people sitting right amongst us. He says, beware of false prophets, people that will teach you to follow after things that are not biblical. People that will say, hey, you know what? Everybody in the culture is doing it. People that will accept things that are not biblical, but they're cultural, so they accept them as part of their theology. Beware of them, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You can't see that. It's inward. It's inward. Well, then we're in trouble because we've got these wolves that are dressed in sheep's clothing. They look just like sheep and they're ravenous wolves, but we can't see that because it's buried deep inside. And then he goes on and he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Listen, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So Jesus is talking about two trees. He's talking about a healthy tree and a diseased tree. And he's saying that he's telling us that true faith in Jesus Christ transforms our life. When we come into a place of true faith in Jesus Christ and receive by grace our salvation, it will transform our lives and start producing in our life, the Holy Spirit will start leading us, guiding us, drawing us to producing fruit that brings glory to God. We'll start to change. We'll start to be transformed. We won't just keep living the same way in which we've always been living and not feel anything to it. The Holy Spirit will come and begin to convict us in regards to sin and in regards to righteousness. He begins to work in our life. Look, everything, everything in nature reproduces after itself. And the same thing is true in the spiritual realm. Good fruit will be produced from a good tree. Bad fruit is produced from a bad or a diseased tree diseased with unrepentant sin. Well, I'm not talking about when we make a mistake or we fall or something happens and we, may, you know, we all sin. We all continually have to work in this flesh and we all have to deal with that. But when, when, when something happens in your life, how do you respond to it? Is it one of those things where you fall to your knees and you cry out for God's mercy to come and to help me that I repent from this place of sin? Or is it more like, hey, no big deal, whatever, Just continuing to live. Continuing to live together when you know that the Bible says you shouldn't be having sex outside of marriage. Continuing in all kinds of relationships that God says you should not be involved in because it's sin. And you're just we just justify it and accept it and allow it to become okay in our lives, and it becomes part of our theology, part of our nature, it becomes part of what we believe. Look, a tree can look good, a tree can look religious, a tree can look wonderful, but What's the fruit look like? And church, listen. He says that the tree that produces rotten fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So there are false prophets. There are those who teach false doctrine. There are those that are around you, those in the church, who will tell you that things that the Bible says aren't okay, well, that's just not the translated the right way. 
I'll just go ahead and say it. In the culture that we live today, we, even in the church, are being pushed to this place where we are accepting homosexuality as something that's okay, that it's biblical, that it's translated wrong. It's not. I guarantee you that those who are saying that have not studied it. But there are false, false prophets that are trying to get us, get you, get us to assume that, hell, it's okay because we have family members or loved ones or people that we care about that are caught up in the homosexual movement. We can't justify things by that way. Otherwise, we will, not, we will also then fall into this place of trusting or believing false prophecy. We can't allow those who, who teach acceptance to the things that the Bible calls sin. False prophets are those who will teach you that religion is the way to salvation. They will teach you that there is an easy road religion. And false prophets can only produce false righteousness. It will never bring true godly righteousness. And their fruit, the fruit of their life, the fruit that comes forth, it's false fruit. And it may look good for a season, but in the end, it will produce fruit that is not good. It's diseased. It can't last. And the person who believes false doctrine, the person who, who follows after a false prophet, who follows after and buys into false prophecies can never experience a changed, transformed life. Because church, listen, false doctrine can never produce the fruit of a transformed life. He yes. just can't. And in verse 20, he says, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Remember, we are not saved by good works, but we are saved to our good works. And this is the last scripture. Let me read to you what Jesus then says in Matthew 12, verse 33. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. So a tree is known not by how good it looks, not by how tall it stands, not by how many leaves it has, not by, it's not, a tree's not known by that. A tree is known, as you saw right there, by what it produces. What comes out of it? What's the product of it? And he says in verse 34, he says, you brood of vipers, Vipers, serpent, you sons of Satan. Those who have been caught up in a demonic lie, twisted by the devil, the prince of this world, and the demons that are after you with temptation and lies and false prophecies. Church, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of darkness. He says, you brood of vipers. I, that's even hard to say. But that's Jesus' words. How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words... You will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. 
I thought you said we aren't saved by works. How can we then, how can our words justify or unjustify? Because those words reveal the true work, the true transforming work of God in your heart or not. It's just, it's the indicator that he gives us. Like, I, I know some of you may not like this. But is it true? Ah, uh, the truth will sting. Sometimes I just do not like it when my wife tells me the truth about how I'm acting. <laughs> it stings. But is it true? The second test. Listen, did my decision for Christ change my life? Meaning, did I experience transformation at the very core of who I am, the very essence of who I am, at the very heart of who I am? Did that change my life? Did I experience the transformation in who I am because my heart was changed? I have a new heart now, a new heart and a right spirit God has placed within me. And when I came into this place with a new heart and a new spirit, it changed my life. I don't know what happened. It just happened. God turned my life upside down. I once was over here and now I'm here and I don't know what happened but I can tell you this Jesus is great God is great and he's doing the work of transformation why is all of that so important it's important because it is impossible listen church Jesus is God it is impossible for you to meet Jesus and Jesus to meet you without your life getting all changed. He's God. And you can't come into that kind of relationship without your life being changed changed and transformed. Remember what we said at the beginning? He's the Redeemer. Guess what he does? Guess what happens in his presence, just naturally? Redemption. Redemption that starts to change our thoughts, change our way of thinking, change our actions, change the way I speak, change the way I talk. I'll use my brother Ray as an example. Man, when I first met Ray, Ray, man, he, he had a mouth. Ray could make a sailor blush. <laughs> now his words are all about Jesus. I mean, it is all he wants to talk about. It's all he wants to say. Does he, amen. Does he slip once in a while? Does he, uh, uh, yeah, I'm absolutely assured of that. Is he trying to make sure that everything that comes from his mouth, everything that comes from his life brings glory and honor to God? Absolutely. That is transformation, the powerful transformation of God in our life. Church, it's impossible to go through that without change. That's why in verses 21 through 23, and you can read that later, he says, hey, there are those of you that come to me and say, Lord, Lord, I did all this stuff in the church. But Jesus is like, but you know what? I never met you. And it's reflective in the fact that there's no transformation in your life. Because you can't come in contact with Jesus and your life not be changed. This is what being born again is all about. Jesus says, you must be born again. And when you're born again, look, look at the radical change that happened in your life when you were born the first time. 
You went through the narrow way. Yeah. I'm not trying to be crass. I'm not trying to, you know, at all. I'm just, it's, the truth is that. And now Jesus says, you must be born again. And here he's describing what the born again life is all about. Look, this morning, have you given your life to Jesus? And come into a personal relationship that has brought transformation into your life. If not, call on Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Jesus, I want to be born again. I need you in my life. I'm a sinner and I need to be saved from my sin. I'm sick and tired of the sick and tired life that I'm living. Oh, I know you're going to confront some of the ways I think, some of the ways my friends think, all of those, but none of them can save me. None of them can bring me eternal life. None of them have any power in my life to help me or to do anything in the way of deliverance. But Jesus, you are the one who comes to redeem and to deliver. And I come to accept what you have promised, what you have given by grace. I don't deserve it, but I receive it. And today, Lord God, I take hold of your hand. I need you, Jesus. Are you born again? If not, this is the day of salvation. And we call out to him. We call out to him. Jesus says we can know. We can know if we are born again or not. We can know that we know that we know. And we'll never know that by looking and comparing ourselves with others, by looking at the religious, by looking at the people around us, by looking at what the others are doing. You'll never know that by following after false prophets and trying to combine the cultural way with the biblical way. By living in a, in a worldly way while trying to follow after God in a biblical way. They, they confront with each other. They don't mesh together. And, and if you watch the, the message that I put online, you'll, you'll see in all of that that Jesus did not come to blend religions. He did not come to blend the conflict of the world. He came to crush it. He came to crush its head. Yes, amen. Thank you, you'll never know whether we're born again by just trying to look like a really good tree. trying to learn all the religious vernacular. You know, if I could just learn to pray like, you know what? Do you know how you learn to pray? By praying. You might want to write that down. Amen. Look, Jesus says that we will know the work in our life that he's doing by the visible fruit that's being produced in our life. Because the fruit in our life is no longer our fruit. It's his fruit. 
It's his fruit that he begins to produce out of a heart that's been renewed, a heart that's been made new. It's, a, it's fruit that starts to flow from the very presence of God that's moved in and taken up occupancy in this shell of a body. He's come to make his home in me, and now he says, I am the temple of the Holy Ghost, and I am going to walk it out. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And we have to be honest. You have to be honest. We have to honestly look at the indicators that we've taught, that God has given us in his word. Because these indicators will reveal where we truly are. And again, I'm not talking about the person who falls or falters or has you know, issues. And We all have those issues in our life. I'm not talking about perfection, but I am talking about direction. Is your life headed down that narrow road? Or are you still just cruising down the easy way? Look, church, we have to be honest about these indicators in our life, these indicators that God's Word gives us, if we ever expect to see godliness passed down to the next generation. Here's the good news. Jesus is Redeemer. Jesus redeems everything. If you have breath, Jesus can redeem you. He can redeem your life. He can redeem your spirit. He can redeem the past. He can take what the enemy meant for good and turn it about and use it for the good of those who love the Lord, those who follow the Lord, those who trust in the Lord. He is a Redeemer. He is the Redeemer. And nobody else can do that. And today, you can turn to Him and you can call upon the Redeemer that will redeem your sin, forgive you and cleanse you of every unrighteousness and bring his blood to cleanse you free and clear from the work of sin in your life. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities of darkness that are overseeing and trying right now to convince you that what I'm talking about, that what the Bible's talking about is just a bunch of hogwash. It's just, they're just being religious. and be, No, we're being truthful. And you may not like it, but if it's true, say, Jesus, if that's the truth, this is how I got saved. Jesus, if all this stuff I'm seeing and hearing in people's lives is true, then I want you. And I just, I just want you. Come on, you're here in church for a reason. You may think you're here because someone you love is being baptized. You may think you're here because you wandered in off the street. You may think you're here because of a donut. I know they're Krispy Kremes, but you, listen, you're here because the God who created the universe and everything in it reached down into your life and drew you to this place today, that you would hear this message today, that you would be confronted with the Word of God. And now in your own free will, God is saying, what will you do with it? There's a fork in the road right now. And you have to decide, am I going to go through the narrow gate? Or am I going to go through the, or stay on the wide gate path it's up to you but church there's so much that hangs in the balance
I'm having a hard time even wanting to end the message because I, I literally feel in my spirit, I just want to beg you to come to Jesus. But, but I'm not. The Holy Spirit has to do that. That's just my, I love you. And I want that for you. I know what my life was like, and I know what happened when Jesus came into it, and I know the transformation that he brought, and I know that life is so much better than what I tried to make it myself. And what he's done for me, he'll do for you. He's no respecter of persons. But church, let me ask you this question, and then I'm going to pray. What will be the legacy that is produced by the fruit or the lack of fruit in your life. That's the free will question that God gives to us. Let's pray. Lord, oh God, have your way. Have your way in your church, in your body, in the body of Christ. Lord, forgive me where I've tried to take responsibility for how somebody does or doesn't receive the message. God, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Move in people's lives. Draw people to yourself. Lord, I stand against the spirit of fear. I stand against today, Lord, the spirit of pride. I stand against, Lord, the spirit of arrogance. We command those spirits that are at work out that, God, you would free people to be able to make a decision based on the power of your word, based on what's happening in their spirit, based on what you're drawing them to, and not the foul, unclean spirits that are at work in the air. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you cause this place to be a place of freedom, that, God, you would begin to manifest where the enemy was, that you would come begin to speak into the ears of those who were listening to the forces of hell, those who had come, Lord, as a brood of vipers, those who are walking in religious ways rather than the freedom that comes from Jesus the way. God, let your spirit be freed and loosed in this place. Draw people to yourself. Help people today, Lord, to come to you, to make a decision, to become that new person that only you can make, to come and to lay down the old, to lay it all down, Lord God, to come against every fear and to release themselves to you, to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords that built a bridge to my Father in heaven. And today, Lord God, I receive the spirit of sonship. Let that be the cry of your heart today, church. You make that decision. For those of you that you may, I'm a follower of Christ, but you know what? You're just living in sinful ways. Today's that day. Repent, lay it down. For those of you who have commingled the culture with the church, Lay it down. Our God's not cultural. He's eternal. Oh Lord, have your way. Have your way. On the altar is open. If you need some prayer today, I would love to do that. If you made that...
Come be a part of the baptism service. Just come to enjoy. If you need to be baptized, hey, if you gave your heart to Jesus today, the waters are open for you. God bless you. Church this week, church is not over. Church is about to begin. Go be the church. Amen? God bless you. I love you. Let's head out back. We're going to have a baptism celebration. God bless you.